Hi guys, I'm Jess. And I'm Heidi. And welcome to another episode of Betty Squared. Today we are looking at chapter 72, To Die For. And I did look it up on my trusty IMDb. It's a 1995 film starring Nicole Kidman. And the story is about a beautiful but naive aspiring television personality who films a documentary on teenagers with a darker, ulterior motive. Dun, dun, dun. That sounds fitting. I, I get that now. I do too. And I mean, obviously, I've not seen this film, so I'm not sure what this darker, ulterior motive is. It sounds a little maybe sexy, who knows? But uh, obviously, this episode opens with Alice filming and interviewing different people of the town about Jughead's passing. So yeah, I could see how the name of this film and this episode title kind of relates back to the film. But I'm kind of not sure how to talk about this episode, like how to start, like do we address the elephant in the room and then just go through our notes chronologically or do we jump around? What What are your thoughts on this? I have strong feelings about this episode um, that aren't great. <laughs> so, uh, I think maybe to save off on that, maybe chronologically is the best way to go. And then we can get to the elephant closer towards the end, which is when I can bitch a little bit. <laughs> okay. So I know a podcast is only audio, but if you literally looked at my face right now, uh, my jaw is like on the floor because the second I watched this episode, it took everything, everything in my body to stop myself from picking up my phone and contacting you about this episode because I was like, oh God, I couldn't wait to talk to you about this because I felt like this was the episode where everything was finally revealed. So I'm very curious to know what your um, qualms with it were, but we'll, yeah, we'll get to that. So let's go chronologically. Uh, oh, well, it's hard because uh, I watched it a second time, so I really analyzed everyone's behavior. Um, so let me skip that note and I'll come back to that one later. So then my first note is on Alice's, you know, opening little bit where she's standing in front of the Riverdale sign and she's talking to uh, the camera about, you know, her introduction of this documentary. And I love the fact that A, camera the cameraman is Kevin which okay sure why not we've got to put him in there somehow and the more of Kevin we see the better but the second is that this is where my knowledge and experience of working in the film industry kind of comes in I loved his camera setup so for those of you who aren't sure what I'm talking about Kevin is using two cameras to film Alice, which is very typical for, you know, that documentary kind of style. You'll often go in with multiple cameras so you kind of get all angles because a documentary is kind of a, a one-take wonder. You don't really do retakes or anything like that unless you're doing like one of those mockumentary kind of things. And typically in the world of film, when you're doing multi-camera angles, you don't place the two cameras at the same angle next to each other. <laughs> So basically those two cameras that Kevin has set up 
is recording the exact same shot of Alice, but in one shot she'll be looking at the camera and the other shot she'll be looking slightly off. I was like, Kevin, rookie mistake. You could have put that camera at, an, at a, you know, 45 degree angle to Alice. We get a little bit of a side profile shot and that would have cut together so much nicer. But alas, this is what happens when you hire kids or teenagers to film what's meant to be a professional documentary. Yeah, it is a it is an interesting choice. And I mean, I think it's that one of those things where it's like, well, we got to give, you know, oh, we need someone to help Alice film. Oh, well, there's Kevin, we're not doing anything else with him. So let's throw him in there. <laughs> like, let's give him something to do, because they just don't know what to do with Kevin if it isn't, uh, you know, going out to the forest to meet men and and have tickle uh film businesses <laughs> oh my god how did i even forget about that how did i forget that he was a professional tickler for two episodes god that was just like the storyline i never wanted and always knew i didn't need yeah <laughs> yeah, exactly. More Kevin. I, I su super support more Kevin. But yeah, he could definitely work on his film skills. He is a theater kid. So like maybe he's this is his start into film work. Yeah, we haven't really seen any of the like AV club at Riverdale High. We don't even know if they've got an AV club. Uh, I mean, obviously, they've got the, the newsletter that goes out that Betty looks after. But yeah, we haven't really seen an AV club. So maybe getting a theater kid who has in no idea how to film uh, a documentary, let alone anything to do with that world, was Alice's best choice. But like I mentioned, and like you said, the more Kevin we get, the better. I really like him, and he's so talented, and I think we um, we don't get full advantage of his true talents that often. So when I see him, I'm like, yay, Kevin, and, you know, other than storylines of him hooking up in the forest, it's nice to actually see him in everyday life. Yeah, that's very true. Kevin's always great. And he had some funny bits in this uh, episode, so. Well, what was your first note then? Um, it was about uh, the documentary as well, but I didn't point out the camera thing, although I did think it was weird. I, had to, I was like, why are they right next to each other? Yeah, uh, <laughs> that was a little weird. But um yeah, it was just a, like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, at first I didn't understand what it was, what it was, because she was just like, it was like a video diary of Betty where she was just being super callous, and then it did the reveal that it was a documentary thing, and I was like, okay, that tracks for Alice, but this is also, her throughout with the documentary thing just felt very callous to me. I was like, uh, I don't know, you were never a big fan of Jughead, so I know it's not because you care about him, so or you care much about him, it just felt callous. I mean, I've got notes on that as well, that basically, I mean, you look at Alice in general, you look at her timeline, you look at the, the arc or lack thereof that she's had in these four seasons, like that, you know, jumping forward just a little bit, that comment that she makes to Betty when Betty's been arrested for Jughead's murder, where she's like, okay, Betty, I know you did it. It's fine. Like, okay, mom, how about you just give your daughter the benefit of the doubt and you know you raised a next to perfect child 
and she didn't murder her boyfriend. How about you give her a little bit of credit before you, you know, just kind of come out and throw that in her face. So I felt like this documentary as well. And Lily did a really good job of acting this. It's like, it's so invasive. Why? I'm surprised Betty even entertained her mom when she's like, hey, I'm going to put this camera literally in your face and ask you to reveal your most personal, deepest uh, qualms and issues with your boyfriend's passing. It, I don't know, a little insensitive. Yeah, super. Uh, Especially knowing what we know. We know certain points of this episode and the certain action that Alice is taking. At this moment in time, at least as far as I believe, she thinks Jughead is dead. So it's even worse at that point. Right, definitely. And yeah, that that's exactly where we are in the story. She doesn't know the information yet. So yeah, she's she's literally like, meh, tell me about how sad you are. And yes, you did murder him, but it's okay, because I know you didn't mean it. I'm like, God, Alice. Yeah, yeah, it's an issue. But I see what she's trying to do. And at the end of the day, knowing what we know, um, it would make for a very interesting documentary. So I also <laughs> understand that. It will be interesting to see if she ever airs this documentary, because obviously it does take a, a turn right in the middle. And, you know, it's weird because then, like, how much of this is legal, you know? But anyway, I'm, I'm getting off track. We'll come to it when we come to it. But uh, just the last thing that I wanted to say on the whole interview and documentary is I love Nana Rose's one line. And I love the fact that Alice is like, hmm, who can I go to to really enhance what I'm trying to do with this documentary? I know I'll go to Nana Rose because she's not totally off her rocker. Yeah, that was an interesting next clip. It seems, yeah, I don't think, I don't think Alice has ever made a documentary before. Because <laughs> the, and this also isn't the finished product of her documentary, I assume. It's probably just the clips that she's getting in the sequence that she's getting them in. Uh, but going to Nana Rose was like the most random fucking thing. And also, I don't really understand the perspective of like, when, I can't remember what she said now, but she says something like super dramatic of when did the seed of like evil come to Riverdale or whatever. And it's like, this didn't even happen in Riverdale. Like, Stonewall Prep isn't in Riverdale. So what? Like, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And that was another thing that I kept looking at as well. I was like, okay, cool. Donna keeps you know, following Betty around. Betty keeps going over to Stonewall to pack up Jughead's things. I'm like, clearly this place is like you literally walk out the door of the Coopers slash Joneses and you turn right and there's Stonewall Prep. Like, it's no longer a school that takes ages to get to, clearly. No, and I guess it's just in Riverdale. Who knew? Who knew? Because when we first started, it didn't start in Riverdale. And then they were like, dang it, we made it too far away. Let's just slowly hint that it might be closer than we've realized. And then that way, no one will panic. Yeah, we just move it closer and closer. Ugh, what a plot hole. <laughs> I know. 
again, one of those things that I think we're meant to just overlook. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, What's your next note? It is all about how uh, it is such a conflict of interest that FP is the sheriff investigating his own son's murder. That would never, ever happen. And, you know, he has some line about, you're under arrest for the cold-blooded murder of my son. Okay, first of all, let's, let's like, break that down. How does he know it was cold-blooded? He's just assuming. Pretty sure he would not be allowed to be in charge of his own son's murder. And what evidence does he have at that point where he goes and arrests them? Not enough to barge into their class and arrest them in front of everybody. And obviously we now know why that is, but I don't know. Like I said at the beginning of this episode, it was really interesting watching this for a second time with the big reveal because I really analyzed everyone's behavior and actions and I don't know. There was some brilliant acting going on. It, I don't know. It, I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree. And yeah, looking back at things uh, in this episode specifically, because I didn't make this clear before, but my issue with this episode is not this episode on its own. This episode I enjoyed, but this episode existing and what we find out in this episode gives me huge issues with the past week's episode, but I still kind of want to save it. But just to clarify that, so I totally agree that like all of the uh, all of the things that everyone did in this episode were very purposeful. So uh, so it being FP to investigate Jughead's murder is very specific and meaningful, even though it probably would have been him anyway, because this is a small town. And are there any other cops um, <laughs> or at least any others? at uh you know at fp's level like if it was real life maybe they would bring like sheriff keller back to do this like one case or whatever but even though he's busy or whatever with andrew's construction but still but i know we have that moment of um you know Hiram saying hey i think you should take some some time off and um fp's all like i quit go to hell I was like, okay, cool. Who are they going to get? Because apparently no one else in this town is able to be the sheriff. So they've had to get a serpent ex-con who was found guilty of covering up Jason Blossom's murder and a whole bunch of other things. And yes, I'm very proud of him for turning around his life, but wow. Anyway, anyway. Yeah, but who's better to catch a murderer than a, a person who's covered up a murder, right? <laughs> that's the that maybe that's the thought process. Yeah, I hated that though. Hiram, go to fucking hell. Hate that guy. Um, but uh, my next note <laughs> was maybe to veer off a little bit. But my next note was just like that he looks so so much like a little baby in that picture that she had uh, that was on uh, Jughead's desk of her as a cheerleader. She does look like a little baby yeah and it's funny because I probably at the beginning of the season commented on that I was like oh I love that he has that photo of her but in all honesty I actually think that photo is a throwback to season one so we're talking three three years ago so she would have been a baby you know she's only in her early 20s now so 
you know, and they dressed her differently and they had her, you know, behaving differently and everything like that. So, yeah, you're not wrong. She legitimately was uh, a baby. Yeah. And uh, Lily, today or yesterday, I can't remember, recently posted an Instagram story of uh, the pilot of Riverdale on TV. It, it must have just been on whatever channel she was watching. She was like, hey, look what I found. And she mentioned as well that they all look like babies, too. So, uh yeah, I agree. It's definitely from that first season, because that's really the only season where we truly see her cheerlead. Um, and it does look quite old, but very sweet. And I know. And she was so like, well, I was about to use the word virginal, but she literally was in, in that part. You know, she was, um, she was a virgin before she met Jughead. And um, she really was just such a sweetheart. So yeah, I loved it too. And um, I liked that scene in particular because back in season one, I think it might have even have been the first season, uh, the first episode, no, not season one, the first episode of season four. Um, and we see the throwback to this scene, which obviously now is happening in real time. And Brett's all like, save your tears, blah, blah, blah. At that point, I actually was like, oh, Dark Betty's come out and she's done something to Jughead and she's trying to cover the fact that, um, you know, she's trying to cry and look emotional because she has actually done this thing. So it's interesting to see the scene take place in the in real time and realize, no, she's the victim in this and she hasn't done anything bad. So I, I really liked the full circle moment we had with that particular scene. Yeah. Yeah. And that's been um, m most of what the, this episode and the last episode were of, we're finally kind of getting the context of uh, these scenes and that we've seen already in this season uh, in like the front, what is it like 12 episodes? Um, and yeah, and some of them really work and then some of them don't, but that one works for me. I think that works. Uh, I loved that she grabbed the the pin as well, and just in that same scene to like we want before we like segue out of it. Um, there was a weird transition, and by weird I liked it, but it's weird just because. So there's a moment where she is walking down the hall, and we know she has that pin in her pocket, and then she looks over and she's in front of Donna and Joan's dorm room, and it says like Donna and Joan, and then there's just a it switches scenes to two people in a bed, like hardcore making out. And I was like, Oh my God, is this Joan and Donna? I was like really caught off guard for a second and revealed that it was uh Varchi, but I was like, I thought for a second that was going to be Joan and Donna. And that was going to take, I was going to be something different than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's where your mind went because when you started talking about that scene, I was like, wait a minute, hang on. What? And like I had to kind of flip my mind thoughts and uh, my mind thoughts. Sure, thoughts happen in your mind, and was like, "Hang on, wait, what?" So that's really that's funny that that's where your mind went when I couldn't even remember the scene initially. Yeah, it just stuck out to me. I don't because it was like it was the shot was just on Joan and Donna's uh, door, and you see that it says Joan and Donna, and then the next uh, clip that happened was two people covered in bed covers 
on top of one another and you can like tell they're doing something and then they kind of pull back a little bit and you see that it's Veronica and Archie but like it took a full second and I was like whoa <laughs> what's happening <laughs> oh my gosh you're hilarious I love that I love that you were like wait what some story another one <laughs> right and there was another thing uh, just in that scene and I can't remember if it was the scene with Betty and um Brett but uh it's my m the note is like in between those two things I just mentioned so I assume it was a part of their conversation I can't remember exactly what was said but someone made a Hamlet reference about Bughead and I was like does that make Oph Jughead Ophelia <laughs> It was when um, Betty's at Pops picking up, you know, dinner or whatever, and Cheryl comes in and is like, oh, my God, cousin, please don't kill yourself. And she's like, wait, what? I'm not going to kill myself. And she was like, yeah, the Hamlet to your Ophelia or something. I can't remember the quote exactly, but, yeah, yeah, that does make Jughead Ophelia. I just thought that was funny. <laughs> I mean, Cheryl was just, you know, again, coming away from what we're currently talking about. My note on Cheryl is that she is just totally, totally out of touch this episode. And I am so about it. I just thought it was so funny. Like when, you know, uh, Tony's like, yeah, we had a night together and it really solidified our, our friendship. And then the camera pans over to Cheryl and she's like, I'm really sorry that I called Jughead um, a hobo or, a, um, you know, something or other that time. And then Alice is like, is that all you want to say? And she's like, I'm really sorry I called him a hobo that one time. I was just like, you're amazing. I love you. You're so funny. Yeah. As we sometimes do, we have opposite feelings of this. <laughs> I didn't love that. Um, just because I feel like Cheryl's had more growth than this. This really felt like... And I, and I understand the reasons why, like, uh, with the whole her taking, a, you know, a video or picture of Archie and, um, and Betty, it just felt like, a, a, like, yeah, like she reverted her character. I feel like she's grown more than this. So I'm, I'm not really interested in her stepping back into old patterns, but that is kind of what happened this episode. She did slightly redeem herself in a way, but... She still kind of did old past habits, uh, which I can understand. She's young and hasn't grown that much, I guess. But I'm just like, oh, I kind of expected better from you. It's weird because the odds of Cheryl catching Archie and Betty in that kiss were one in a million. But, you know, okay, it's, it's Hollywood or whatever, and we've just got to suspend disbelief. But also, she takes the photo... And she sends it to everybody. Then she goes to Veronica and she's like, I was going to text you this, but I wanted to like save you the embarrassment and I wanted to tell you face to face. Okay, bitch, but you've already texted everybody else in the school. That's a really terrible thing to do. You could have just gone to Veronica on the side and been like, hey, I just saw this thing. I hope like you don't mind me showing you this. Instead of just, like, basically slut-shaming Betty and Archie or airing their dirty laundry, which, I okay, was the intention of what they wanted to do. But if we pretend that that was not what they were doing and they were really hooking up be through their grief about Jughead, 
that's a really shitty thing to do to a person. But also, I guess it's shitty to cheat on your partner. So I don't know. It's a loaded gun, this one. But yeah, it was a very um, big coincidence that she happened to be around when they were, you know, having their kiss. Yeah, and it would make some sense to me if she was in on it, uh, knowing what we know. <laughs> if she had been, like, in on it, it would have made sense for her to have done that. I think people would believe that she would do that. Or they played right into her hand, and and that's why they did it. But, like, I don't know. It's disappoint- It's I'm disappointed in, in Cheryl. Uh, and I would have liked it if maybe that if she had done all that because she knew, but that's not the case. Yeah, and you know what? That particular scene, the Betty Archie kiss, I like all episode up to that point. I was like, "What the hell is going on? This does not feel right." Like, have I taken acid and not realized? Like, I'm so confused. And then that point, I was like, "Okay, that kiss was." uber unnatural and if this is the case where you know Betty and Archie are getting together this isn't how I want it to happen so I was just like what is going on at this point and then obviously you know we we get to the reveal shortly after but I just was like okay this is gone to hell in a handbasket I can't I can't work out what's going on now but yeah, it all obviously reveals itself. Yeah, and the the Benny and Archie stuff pretty quickly made it clear to me what was happening. Uh, like when that first, like my note when that first occurred was no, <laughs> no, because <laughs> um, I don't want it. Um, but I pretty quickly realized that you know why that was happening. See, I didn't. I was just like, okay, I bet you, like, I started coming up with conspiracy theories. So I was like, okay, perhaps what's going on is that um, uh, Jughead was knocked out by The Rock. Who, who knows whether it was Betty, whether it was Donna, whether it was Brett, who knows? And he is in a coma and this is his weird coma dream. I'm like, something, this is not actually happening for real. I was like, there has to be some explanation for this. So obviously, you know, we get to it soon. Um, but yeah, I was like, that kiss was fake. It was weird. But then what's continued to create doubt in my mind is, you know, the conversation that they have via text towards the end of the episode where, you know, Betty says, oh, um, I hope I wasn't a bad kisser. And, you know, you see Archie really kind of tormented about how he should write that. So they've planted a potential seed there. Whether they follow through with that um, or not is yet to be seen. I mean, it could be like the video thing where we see it twice and then it disappears. And then Jess is pissed off for the rest of the season that it just disappeared. Yeah, that was interesting, just because as well, I mean, we might as well talk about it now, because this kind of segues into it, if we're going to go all the way to that text message conversation, which was really weird. I felt like that was so out of character. I don't understand why Betty would send that text. Like, I would maybe understand her saying thank you, and 
uh, I'm glad that we're like that we're figuring things out and it's going as planned or something like that. For, but for her to be like, I hope I was a good kisser, that crosses a pretty clear line, um, especially after she and Archie just said to their significant others, because surprise, Jughead's alive, um, <laughs> as we all knew he would be, um, just said to their significant others, sometimes without being asked, no, I don't, like, I like you and I'm only going to like you. Like, that was weird. Yeah, I think we'll have to wait to see. I mean, we can speculate a lot about that. We can speculate about the fact that maybe even though they were acting and even though they do really love their partners, maybe it stirred up some unexpected feelings. Um, but again, I don't really want to speculate on that at the moment. I just want to sort of wait and see what happens because that might be just something that's trying to um, bring the show back towards the comics where it, Archie and Betty, Archie and Veronica, Archie and Betty, you know, he went back and forth in the comics. So that might just be something that's hinted at but then never uh, followed through with. Fingers crossed. We'll, we'll have to see what happens. Well, I mean, I have more notes that I can talk on, but I'm really curious to hear your your gripe with this episode, and I feel like this might be the right point to kind of bring it up. Sure. Uh, okay, so yeah, so the Barchi thing happens, and then it's pretty quickly revealed after that, that the Barchi situation. And even when um, they were... Like the the part where they were at Pops, and remind me if I'm out of order with this or not, uh, where it's just Betty and Archie, and it's a scene we've seen before, but now we're seeing it from a different perspective because it pulls out and we see that Cheryl's there as well, and Archie kind of comforts Betty. That's before the kiss, right? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, because it's like one of the things that's leading to the kiss or whatever. Even that, like, made me already feel like even though I knew like felt from the beginning as I think we both did that Jughead was not dead uh this made it even more clear to me and that was before the kiss uh because they're not stupid they can see that Cheryl's there and they wouldn't have said that stuff if they knew she was listening and so I was like okay this is very obviously said in front of Cheryl for specific reasons because they want uh, her to know and with the whole funeral thing and with uh donna being so intense about like no he's not dead like you're he's hiding somewhere and you're trying to hide him and all that stuff at the funeral and then that happening right afterwards i was like okay yeah they are trying to make a distraction so that people stop talking about the fact that jughead might not be dead you know okay yeah, so that I mean that was my feeling with that. I was like already feeling that way, and then the Barchi thing happened, and then and then it, we do get the reveal. We we see Jughead in the bunker with Betty, because uh, that was the reveal moment, right? I'm not rem I'm not remembering that wrong. No, 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 you're not remembering that all. Uh, uh, you're not remembering that wrong at all. It uh, basically uh, Betty was like, oh. And this was such a crazy day. And then Jughead sits up and everybody in the audience is like, oh, he's alive. Uh, but I think the thing is, we, you and I both knew he wasn't dead. Like there was, 
no kind of announcements or anything like that. And yeah, it was just, it was all just so weird and strange. So I'm glad we got to the point now where we're like, good, he's alive. Great. Now, how are we going to get these kids? Yes. And so here's where my issue comes in. So of course we knew that Jughead was alive. Um, and we just didn't really understand the pieces that that came to get him either getting hit in the head or fake hit in the head. And where did he go and all that stuff. So, cool, Jughead's alive. My issue is, now, knowing that the three of them, and FP, and uh, Jellybee, all knew that Jughead was alive the whole time, why did they act the way that they acted in the last episode? Last episode is my problem. Last episode makes no sense with this new context. This episode makes sense with this context because I can see where everyone's pretending. I can see where everyone's acting. I can see the lies. I can see how they're trying to manipulate this to get to the Stonewall kids, to get them to come out with it and uh, be caught red-handed. But last episode makes no sense. Why would they say that stuff in the woods that we didn't see in the last episode, but we saw it at the end of last season where they're like, and now we can never see each other again. We're going to school in uh, the fall. You know, we don't have to see each other again after this. Why would they say that? Maybe they think maybe they think that the Stonewall kids are watching them, but uh, that just doesn't make sense to me. Why would they not get their story straight on the drive over? Why were they silent on the drive over? That makes no sense. That makes no sense to me. And then the next thing uh, that I had was, why would Veronica be questioning Betty to Archie alone in private? That scene makes no sense now. It's not like they're in public. And even if they were in public and like trying to stage a scene for people, that still doesn't make sense. Questioning Betty doesn't help them solve this thing with Stonewall. Putting the Putting it on Betty doesn't doesn't make that happen. It doesn't make sense. And it's not that the two of them didn't know and only Betty knew. They all knew from the get-go. They all did it together. So none of it makes sense. It doesn't make any sense. I I don't understand. (laughs) Okay, so I think I can break it down for you a little bit. And this may be due to the fact that I have no short-term memory capabilities at all. Okay, so um, I had the same, remember how I said at the beginning of this episode, oh, I have a note, but if we're going to go in chronological order, it kind of won't make sense. Well, the note that I have is watching this episode a second time, I'm super confused as to why, like, when they're sitting around the dinner table at the Cooper Joneses, that when Betty gets the phone call from uh, Yale, I think it is, I nearly said Harvard, but I'm pretty sure it's Yale that she's going to, she starts crying because, you know, she's been offered Jughead's place. Why put on that charade if you know what's going on? And I think the only way that I've been able to justify the behavior that has come prior to this episode where we know which people know what is the timeline. So obviously Alice is completely in the dark. She's completely in the dark until halfway through this episode. In terms of FP, that whole, we've tracked your phone into the, you know, where's my son? His phone is in your jacket. 
that I genuinely believe he did not know yet. I think what's happened is Betty's pulled him aside at some point and gone, hey, Sheriff Jones, I need to talk to you about this thing because it's now gotten to the point where I need your help. So that's how I justify it for myself. Um, In terms of Veronica talking to Archie about Betty in last episode, in the last week's episode, I think that, again, the way I've justified that, and again, I I mentioned that I don't have quite a clear memory of the last episode um, because it's been replaced by, you know, thoughts and feelings about this episode, is that I... I think it was more a case of not, oh, is Betty guilty? What if she really did kill Jughead? It's more a case of, do we think this is the right thing? Is this really how we want to progress with this and help her take the Stonies down when really we've got nothing to do with it? But remember also, at that point, Veronica and Archie had found Betty holding the rock in her hand and they didn't particularly know what had happened. So I could understand Veronica still being like, okay, Betty said, this is what the plan is. This is how we're going to do this. But what if she did black out and she did hurt him and she doesn't realize because she thinks it's some elaborate plan that Donna and Brett have come up with. So I think you're, looking too much into it. I think you just need to try and take it on face value and not analyze it. I don't know if that helps or not. Um, I mean, that's exactly what we do, though, when we do this podcast. So I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> and I, I see saying, I, I see what you're saying. But I just don't, I don't think that that makes sense to me. For me, that doesn't make sense. Because we also know that even though Jughead was hit in the head, he's okay. Like, he maybe had some stitches, I think, in his head, but, like, he was fine, and who knows when he was awake again. They all seem to have been talking to him, because it was Archie there with Betty and Jughead when Donna came down into the, the bunker. Um, so Archie has definitely talked to Jughead, and so they've all spoken, and they've all talked about this plan, and it just that just doesn't make sense it just doesn't make sense to me i just think last episode and it's not just those situations last episode as a whole how everyone was acting don't, it does not make sense for this now um I, I just think last episode doesn't make sense and i think the continuity uh, is pretty fucked between that episode and this um so but that's just how i feel i might have to go back and rewatch it because i can't fully commit to you know an explanation or my feelings about what you've brought up without being fresher in my mind about that episode um but you know me I'm a stickler for continuity so I am if if it does if you are correct and the continuity is out of order I'm disappointed or you know not justified I'm disappointed in myself that I didn't pick it I mean you don't have to be I I think I think that the reason why they did this, the reason why they did this reveal in this episode and also made this episode very clear with everyone's intentions and what everyone knows, um, yeah. it does make it in that way when you rewatch it that you see things, you know, more clearly for what they were after knowing the reveal. Um, 
I think that's all really purposeful. And I think last episode was really purposeful too, but it's purposeful in the way of like, we want you to be sad. Like the writers wanted the audience to be sad and they wanted them to believe it. And they wanted, you know, it to be a conflict and it for it to be uh, this like high emotionally intense episode. And that just feels shitty to me. It reminds me of in The Walking Dead. I don't remember where you are. Are you watching The Walking Dead still? Girl, I moved over to the US five years ago and I had stopped at season three whilst I transitioned over and got set up. And I was like, cool, I'll keep watching. And I just never did. So five years later, the show has finished and I am no clearer in my mind as to how it all went down. I know bits and pieces, so don't worry about spoiling it for me if um, if that's what you're worried about. But if anybody else is in the same position as me and what Heidi says is about to be a spoiler, maybe just tune out for like 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, skip ahead like a minute uh or that's probably too much skip ahead 30 seconds uh basically in season six like halfway through season six uh there's a part where they make it look like glenn is dead they make it look like glenn got ripped apart by zombies um and then but then you don't see his body there's no more that goes to it nobody finds him and it's just kind of like this really like anticlimactic like that's how this character who we loved and who who, you know, is such a major character, dies. Like, it was awful. It just felt awful. And then they pretended that he was dead for, like, a few more episodes until they revealed, oh, he he went under the dumpster. He's not dead. And then they killed him at the end of the season. So it felt like that to me, where it's like they're trying to fake you out. I don't like when shows are trying to trick me. Like, don't try to trick me. Trick me. Do it. I want you to trick me. But I don't want you to try. I want you to fucking do it. You know what I mean? Right. So you feel like Riverdale has done the same kind of thing where it hasn't completely committed to the whole Jughead theory? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Interesting. I don't know. Like I said, my I just, I don't have a clear enough memory of the previous episode to really be able to give you a solid agree or disagree. Yeah, no worries. But those are my those are my intense feelings. And like I said, I like this episode. I like lots of pieces of this episode. Uh, this episode made me not like last episode, which I already didn't like. So <laughs> not too big of a of a hit when it really comes down to it. It's funny you say that because I never listened back to our episodes other than when I edit it down. And uh, the other day I was walking into work and I had my AirPods on and I was like, you know what? listen to our last episode and I was laughing out loud because I was like damn we hated this episode like if that was the first episode that uh, one of our listeners like just happened to log on to they would be like why are these two girls reviewing a show they hate so much so yes I agree I do feel like this episode kind of um redeemed a little bit of those ill feelings towards last episode yeah and I mean when you think about it we're here for all different types of Riverdale fans. Riverdale fans who really enjoy the show and fans who also hate watch the show. We understand you too. <laughs> we sure do.
wait, 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 Jess, we have to do the grades first. We're flipping around and doing what I did last time. No, grades first. So what's your grade for the episode? Oh, Jesus Christ. I don't know. Up is down, left is right. I'm so confused. Okay, so we grade the episode, then we talk about what Betty would do. Okay, four years later and I still can't remember. Okay, I grade this episode like a A minus. Yeah, I think I A minus is exactly. I was going to go lower if you went lower, but I think A minus fits for sure. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't super wowed by the episode, but I like the fact that we finally found out what the hell was going on. Yes, yeah. And I like the context of this going forward more than I liked la- last episode. If that situation kept going forward, I'm I'm on the train for this and off the train for that, and I'm willing to just forget that that happened. So I'm ready to move on. I like that. I feel like that needs to be a slogan on a t-shirt or something like that. (laughs) I'm ready to move on. (laughs) But all of that, I was on the train, now I'm off the train, but I'm on the train for this and I'm off the train for that. I'm like, yes, I know exactly what you're saying and I feel you on a very spiritual level. (laughs) (laughs) This is why we work well together, Jess. Indeed. All right. What would Betty do this episode? Yes. So Betty would freaking play the long game. She would see through her opponents. She would plant evidence. <laughs> Love that for her. And she would be a damn gr- like good actress. Betty herself, we know Lily is a great actress, but Betty would also be a great actress as well. And she would do it while all getting her kisses in. So, oh, that's yeah. Betty. Whether she got them from her boyfriend or her boyfriend's best friend, she'd get it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> wow. Well, this is a particularly long episode for us, but I feel like there was a lot to really delve into. And um, I can't wait to see what happens next week because it's it, this is the, the ball that's starting to roll. There's plenty more to become uh, to to be brought to light i mean the chicken charles thing the uh you know the um nope it's gone out of my head what were we just talking about and i said we have to wait to see what happens damn me and my short-term memory uh i honestly don't know (gasps) all right well we'll just let sleeping dogs lie and we'll just wait for what is sure to be another next week yeah I'm in for it. All right, everyone. We will catch you next week for another episode of Betty Squared. Bye. Bye. Well, I, in terms of like the notes that I have left, they're all just kind of little bits and pieces of just little notes I made along the way, but nothing that really has any true context um, to the storyline or the plot. And uh, one of those notes is whose genius idea was it to put Donna in high-waisted pants, like dress pants? It's like they're trying to make her even less appealing than she already is. So in the first scene that we see her of this episode, I don't know if you noticed, but those were some high-waisted dress pants or slacks as the, uh, the people from the old days used to call them. Yeah, I did. I did notice Donna's uh, outfits overall, like throughout, and they do like make her. They put her in kind of like it's a. It's either the 
uh, school uniform, and I can't remember. When she wears the school uniform, she's always in pants, right? She's never wearing skirts. Well, see, it's funny you say that because this was actually the first time I noticed her ever being in pants. So I think prior to this, she's been in skirts. Okay, because this episode, for sure, she was only in pants. And then, like, if she wasn't in the school uniform, she was in a full pantsuit, which I thought was an interesting choice. I kind of liked it, but, like, it was it was a choice, like, a very specific one. It's interesting because I think with a little bit more fine-tuning, she could actually be quite pretty. I feel like... This actress, and I don't know her name, so I apologize for not knowing my my facts. She's really interesting to look at. She's very striking in the sense that, you know, she's got the dark hair and then the light-colored eyes. But sometimes I look at her and I'm like, she's really pretty. And other times I look at her and I'm like, oh, God, I would, I wish they would just, like, fix her eyebrows. Like, it's, I, and I'm, I'm all for the thick eyebrow. I have thick eyebrows myself. But they're not, they're not maintained. It looks like she has all these like overgrown hair. So I'm like, okay, they're trying to make her more of a natural look, but then they're putting her in these very like high power pantsuits. It's like, again, you know, coming back to the Alice thing, it's like they weren't sure what direction they were going to take Alice in story-wise. It's like they weren't sure what direction to take Donna in wardrobe wise yeah I think that's very true because I think this is this episode is really the first time maybe in uh the ids of March uh we maybe saw her out of the Stonewall outfit but for the most part we we see her in the Stonewall outfit so then for whatever episode they for whatever reason in this episode words are so hard oh my god um (laughs) they they decided to allow her to have other clothes and yeah I'm not sure if they knew exactly what they wanted to do with that but I also think well one with the eyebrows I know that that's pretty on trend right now with eyebrows is a more natural look and less like cleanly plucked and stuff like that so um and I mean she's got good eyebrows so if I was her I'd do it too but um I don't have good eyebrows so um and (laughs) but then I think it's also it's purposeful a little bit and you know I don't I don't give Riverdale the props of being purposeful often so I do think it's purposeful for her to have that look that is like confusing and like mysterious I think that I think that's a big part of her character and kind of what I like of her character that like you can't ever quite place her and that's how she's felt from her first introduction. We've never really been sure if she's a friend or a foe. She's one hell of an actress though, because she's really been like, it's infuriating to watch her, which is exactly the job that she was hired to do. And I say she's one hell of an actress in reality, but then also if you look at her, um, you know, when, uh, when she goes into her dorm and FP is going through her room, And she starts crying and she's like, we were just so frightened of what she could do. You know, we as the audience knew she was faking it. And I I suppose FP did too. But to the untrained eye, she was able to turn on the tears very quickly and, you know, deliver a very convincing story. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe this was the intention with her all along. Like I said, one minute I'm like, yeah, this actress is perfect for this role. And then the next one I'm like, oh. 
in the next role, the next second, I'm like, oh, I don't know if she's the right fit. But I think you hit the nail on the head. Like she never was supposed to be one thing. She's meant to be all of these things, which then they've probably done the right job. Yay, Riverdale. <laughs> yeah, we give them their points when they deserve them. And that also, everything you just said is also why she's such a good foil for Betty. Like we don't really see true foils and for, for our characters very often. Uh at least that I can think of. I can't really think of too many others uh, that we've seen in the past, but she's a great foil for Betty because she's so similar to Betty too. Betty is like that as well, where she can turn it on a dime. She's crying in the dorm room when we know that Jughead's not dead and this is totally fine. And I think also she was wearing, it was very obvious her like makeup was messed up in, in those scenes. And I think that was very purposeful. As women, we know what makeup's going to run and what makeup's not going to run. Uh, so we know what to wear to a movie that we're we like know we're gonna cry at or stuff like that or at least I do um so I think it was very purposeful and she can do the that same thing that Donna can do uh so I think she's a great foil for Betty much more than Brett fuck Brett I don't care about him I would like to go officially on the record and say that I have one style of makeup which I wear every day regardless of where I'm going and I do not own waterproof mascara so if I cry in a movie it's just gonna go all over my face but I admire that you switch things up if you know you're gonna cry I'm that's really forward thinking that's very Betty of you <laughs> thank you well it's more of that I have watery eyes in general so I almost always am wearing it's not a waterproof mascara but it's this is the stuff that you came to Betty Square to listen to us talk about. Um, but it's the tubular mascara. So it doesn't like run down my face if I cry, but it just kind of like crumbles off. And so it doesn't make my like face look all black. It just kind of crumbles away because it's that tubular stuff. Um, but like I have another mascara that I might use if I like feel like it, but it'll go everywhere on my face because I've got watery ass eyes. So that's my life. <laughs> Moral of the story, know the occasion and switch your mascara accordingly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is what you came to Betty Ford for. Right. What else did you come here for? You thought we talked about the show? <laughs> Jokes on you. <laughs> mascara tips and tricks. Um, I do, I do not want to talk about this for very long, but I do want to mention this note that was just, Hermosa is fucking gross. <laughs> She's creepy and I hate her. What is she doing here? And Veronica needs to learn how to lock her damn door. <laughs> That's so funny. I feel the same way. Okay, so again, when I look at her, sometimes I'm like, you're really pretty. And other times I'm like, oh, what's wrong with your face? Oh my God. I'm just really glad you said that out loud because uh, now I can be a better person by comparison. So thank you for that. But well, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, it's half of her character anyway. Like it's, it's the fact that she's meant to be something of a villain and who knows, maybe she's been brought in because Hiram is, is becoming good again and is they're trying to redeem him so she's gonna be the bad one but it looks like they've kind of bonded over the help that Hermosa provided to um Veronica this episode about Donna which we don't know what yet but we'll find out soon 
Yeah, it was just her, like, being, like, super predatory. Yeah, it was creepy. And, yeah, Veronica not locking her door if they're going to have sex. But then also at the same time, Hermosa just going in, she could have literally seen anything. Anything. That was a bad call on her part, for sure. Um, Yeah, but it does look like at the end they did they did have maybe some light bonding. Uh, God, we were just talking about them having sex. So that's gross that I said that. I want to take that all back. Um, <laughs> anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> my next note that I want to talk about, even though we kind of like, you know, went through kind of the middle section of this episode, but I did love that when the kids were in for questioning with FP, all of the parents were present with their kids when they were getting questioned and Mary was doing her fucking amazing lawyer thing i thought that was awesome even though most of them were in on it but still i thought that was great and that made me super stoked (laughs) what i love specifically about mary and her being a lawyer is she always fucking mentions she's a lawyer anytime it's a situation like that she's always like well in my opinion as a lawyer well i wouldn't be doing my job if i wasn't a lawyer as my lawyer, it is, I have to protect my client. I'm like, we get it, Mary. You're a lawyer. You don't need to keep mentioning it. But what if the audience members are dumb and they don't remember? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's my that's my thought process for why they, they make her say that all the time. I, yeah, I don't know. But every time we see her... I always, I'm always happy. Like I always smile. I'm like, oh yay, we got her for another episode because you know, you never know what's going to happen with a high profile celebrity like that. And also, you know, since Luke Perry's passing, I think it's important that we see, um, you know, Archie's mom in the picture more. And I, I really like that, um, for, you know, whether she had other projects lined up or whatever, you know, uh, she was able to, still be a part of this. I I think that's really nice. And every time I see her, perhaps the reason I smile is because I feel like she's honoring Luke's memory by being there. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I'm sure that was a pretty active part of the decision making and her being more present in this season and who knows about future seasons, which is awesome of her to do. And, And yeah, it's really nice. And she's a great figure for RG to have in his life more. So regardless of the reason why, I'm glad that it's I'm glad that that's happening. Yeah, me too. Um, Again, of the silly notes that I have left, uh, I've got some critical uh, notes for FP in terms of him being the sheriff, but we've already covered that. But I just want to say that um, if you arrest a group of people for the same crime, the last thing that you should do is put them in a situation where they can talk to one another and get their story straight. I don't know if you realized he put Veronica and Betty in one cell and, sorry, Veronica and Archie in one cell and Betty in the other, but they're like right next to each other and they're just bars and they can all talk. Now, granted, yes, we find out that FP is in on it, but again, me as the audience, I was like, yeah, but that's not what you're supposed to do though. Yeah, and there was the part two where he was looking through Donna's dorm room and he was doing it without gloves. And that's actually, like, the him with the cell thing is dumb, but, like, 
that kind of makes sense because he knows that they're actually not in trouble. But the part of going through Donna's room, like, that's when you're actually looking for clues that could really help you. And you're now, like, destroying evidence because your fingerprints are going to be all over everything. Oh, God. Oh, he's so sexy, so I can forgive him. Oh, my God, when he was crying at Jughead's funeral, I all I kept thinking was, damn, you are so fucking fine. <laughs> that's That sentence is interesting, and you should look back on it, because that's an interesting thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Um, one thing I do want to comment about with um, FP is... I, I thought it was funny, but obviously, yes, okay, they're in on it. But I love that FP comes into the uh, interrogation room with Alice and Betty after Alice is like, it's okay, I know you did it. Yeah, thanks, Mom. Uh, and it's like, oh, okay, Betty, you and your friends are free to go. I feel like the next line should have been from Betty, well, can you drive me home since you're going there too? Yeah, right. I mean, it's quite funny and yeah that that from Alice was like that I, I now realize what this note <laughs> is I, I didn't put the context like around it so my note was just what the fuck is up with Alice and that had to do with that moment where she's like I know you did it I was like god damn woman Jesus I mean we know Alice is a little bit of I don't know I was about to say a loop-de-loo and then I was like I don't even know what a loop-de-loo is but I feel like she might be the definition she is just she's so funny because she's trying to be so supportive in you know saying to her daughter like it's okay I know you did it so how are we going to solve this like she's not even giving Betty the benefit of the doubt like she's just like I know you had the same darkness that your father has so you killed Jughead you killed your boyfriend now how are we going to get past this it's, she's ridiculous. I love her and I hate her all at once. Yeah, it's a pretty big mess. Um, one of my notes that I want to talk about is um, uh, it, it's that at the, and this is one of the things I didn't mention, but it's one of the things that pointed me towards 100% Jughead is alive. I know that that's happening in this episode. We're probably going to find it out. But at Jughead's funeral, quote unquote, uh, Betty says she's going to read a uh, section uh, of text from a Sherlock Holmes book and at first it's like because Jack had liked true crime and like him him being murdered him you reading a book from a true crime book or not true crime but like a crime book um and talking about his love of true crime is pretty gauche but okay Betty um <laughs> and then that she reads a passage from the final problem was like just such a giveaway like they laid it out so plainly in this episode that Jughead is not dead and he faked his death did you I don't know how much Sherlock Holmes knowledge you have but did you see that too okay so the I I don't have much Sherlock Holmes knowledge um I do like Sherlock Holmes I've read a few of the books uh, when I lived in England, one of the things I went and did was visit Baker Street. And it's interesting you bring this up because the note that I had is that I never knew how this, the Sherlock Holmes series or stories finished. So my note is, great. Thanks, Betty. Now I know how it all ends. So yay, no well, need to read those books. 
No, actually, you probably should, because the thing about the final problem is that she reads the passage where uh, Sherlock and Moriarty fall, and that also, you can see that in the movie, the Robert Downey Jr. movie, that that happens too, um, and that does happen in the book. And when Arthur Conan, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle wrote that book, he wrote it for Sherlock to die. He wanted him to die. But there was such an uproar from the fans of Sherlock Holmes and of Arthur Conan Doyle about that death. They were so outraged. It was like the first instance of a fiction story killing off a character and then there being outrage from the audience that then made the author change what he did. So he wrote that book. He killed off Sherlock Holmes. Everyone, you know, rioted basically about it and were super mad and vocal about it. And then he wrote another book and he was like, oh, Sherlock faked his death. He's really alive. And there were more books after that. I don't know how many books followed that. And I don't, as you said, I don't actually know how like Sherlock Holmes, the series ended, or if it just ended maybe because Arthur Conan Doyle passed. Like, I don't know what the ending of Sherlock Holmes is, but it's not that he died. The final problem is a fake. It fakes it out, he fakes his death, and he comes back. Okay, so that, with that context, that makes a lot more sense. But I feel like they chose something that the kids of today wouldn't be familiar with. And, you know, somebody of my age, I'm 34, that didn't really read for me. I was, I was, you know, clued on enough that I was like, okay, this is probably about, you know, him faking his death. But I had no idea of, of the stuff that you just told me. So now I'm like, oh, I get it. So I wonder if that was just thrown in there for the really like avid readers or something like that, or people that just had that knowledge that I didn't have. But like I said, I assumed it was referring to the fact that Sherlock had faked his death. But at the same time, I was like, oh, Sherlock Holmes is dead. Great. Guess I won't bother finishing to read the books. Yeah, that reference, it can be niche. I know for sure that like not everybody would uh, get it. It felt obvious to me, but I've loved Sherlock Holmes for a long time. So that I make total sense that you might not because I get uh, obsessive about things sometimes so I really got into a Sherlock Holmes hole at one point um so it is a little niche but it did seem very obvious to me to not just myself but to the Stonewall kids like that should have been a huge hint to Donna and Brett who I would assume are aware of literature crime icons like Sherlock Holmes you know Totally. Um, it's interesting, though. Do, do you think Betty was being sneaky or do you think she was like um, she was trying to. I don't know, like if she was being sneaky about it and trying to hint and mess with them or if she really would have read a passage like that if it was his funeral. Maybe. I don't think that's what she would have read if it really was his funeral. That doesn't really make too much sense for me. Sherlock Holmes, while a very good story and an interesting character, is not what you would like call romantic or loving. Uh, he isn't really like that. He doesn't really act like that or speak like that. So a passage from a Sherlock Holmes book, unless it was very specific to that person, 
doesn't really make sense in this context. So yeah, I think I think if we had to give it a reasoning, it was maybe to tease Donna because she would know that they would know this. Um, so maybe she was trying to get them riled up uh, so that they would make mistakes. That would make the most sense, I think. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it was very sneaky of her and very uh, risky of her if she was trying to give them, you know, a hint or poke fun at the fact that, haha, he is alive and you don't know, or you haven't been able to work it out yet. That's, yeah, pretty risky that they would, she would do that. But I mean, it worked. Yeah, it totally worked. It got them to start making mistakes, which is what they were looking to do, you know, the whole time. So I, that even confirms more to me that this was purposeful. Uh, also in that scene, uh, it, I realized that Betty has almost only called Donna a bitch, like other than her name, <laughs> like has called her probably a bitch more than Donna. And I, I love that. I think that's great. <laughs> I do too. And I love when she was like, okay, bitch, you need to leave. You're leaving. I was like, oh, Betty. Like she, I think when she cusses, it has more of an impact because she's not somebody who regularly cusses. So you're like, cool, she's super pissed. Like, you need to leave. That's very true. Yeah, when she swears, it has an impact. And that she's called uh, Donna a bitch so many times is impactful as well. So I love it. It's great. One thing I just want to quickly mention about that particular scene, you have to be super quick to notice it. If you blinked, you would have missed it. Did you know that Mr. DuPont was there at the funeral? Yeah, he was there for like a hot minute. And like, we didn't even really see his face. So I wasn't even sure if it was him. We like see his back when he turns and he walks out the door. But yeah, it, it was weird. It was incredibly weird. I didn't watch it. The, I didn't see it the first watch through. I picked it up the second watch through and I rewound and I went, is that Mr. DuPont? Like, why is he constantly around allowing these students to talk to one another like they do? He's the adult in the situation. You know, he's apparently the position of power when it comes to the Baxter Brothers book. So why is he just being a turd and not saying anything? Anyway, that's all. Um, I think I only have uh, one more note. I'm trying to double check. Oh, I have two more notes. One of them is kind of serious, and one of them is kind of funny. So the first one is uh, that puffy sleeved sweater with the mixed patterns that Betty's wearing, like where the sleeves are one pattern and then the vest, like, front area is another. Did you notice that one? Yes. It was awful. I hated it. Okay, I was just about to say, oh, did you like it or did you not? I didn't like it either, but I didn't want your answer to be influenced by how I felt. But I'm glad we're on the same page about that. Yeah, she usually wears, usually Betty is like 100 for 100. Her outfits are like fantastic. This was a bad choice. I did not like that sweater. There was some weird uh, wardrobe stuff going on this episode, remember? Donna and her pantsuit, her power suit, maybe. Yeah. That's very true. Maybe it was someone else. Maybe it was someone new doing some costuming this episode. It, it, it was strange. Well, I mean, we can forgive them this one trespass. I mean, Betty's outfits are usually spot on. So we can we can give her or him one pass of a bad outfit. Oh, for sure. I do not blame Betty. She's not the one dressing herself. <laughs> <laughs> 
no, I, I meant the costumer. I that he or she can be given a pass this time, uh, but just this one time. Yes. Yeah. It's not her fault. She doesn't dress herself, so it's fine. Uh, my last note. My last note is: Did Jonathan? Did uh, Jonathan? Did Donna kill Jonathan? I am so glad you said that because I was literally about to say, oh, I've only got one note left too. And it is the same thing. I totally missed the first time around that, you know, uh, when Donna like slaps Brett and goes, careful, don't forget who's in charge or I'll do to you what I did to Jonathan, rest in peace. I was like, what? And then in hindsight, I thought about the episode and I was like, he wasn't in any of the scenes. He wasn't at Stonewall. He uh, didn't. Um, he didn't uh, come to the funeral. What happened to him? I think she killed him or sent him away. She got him sent away or she killed him. For what? Did he do something that I'm completely spacing on? No, I don't think we know. I don't think we know what he did. But I think he fucked something up, and I think she she got rid of him. I wonder if the next episode will shed any light on that. Yes, I agree. Looking forward to to figuring out these mysteries for sure. And hopefully going forward, the episodes remain to be good like this one and not keep going forward and then putting the last episode that they had goes two steps back and be shitty. So just hoping next episode improves and doesn't make me hate the episode previously. I literally have my fingers crossed right now. Maybe we should make this a vlog and not a podcast so you can see my reactions. (laughs) Well, if you don't have anything more to add, let's talk about what our girl Betty would do this episode because, boy, she went through it. 